nice i like it okay so i think we are recording video now we've got audio going most everything looks all right i think so let's give it a go huh Hey everyone, it's Seth Kendall from Jensen USA, and I am joined back on the microphones for our first episode of 2019 of Kendall versus Kendall. And my awesome co-host, as always, is Jeff Kendall Weed. Welcome back, Jeff. It's good to see you both on the video and the uh, microphones here. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's great to be back. I felt like something was missing from my life, and it was clearly Kendall versus Kendall. Right? Like, it, this, these conversations are super fun. You know, obviously, it's really fun to get to know you and kind of the things that are driving you, but it's really fun just to talk bikes, right? Like, at some point, uh, just getting into the nitty-gritty of not just the technical side of bikes, but, you know, we love to talk about the happenings and the events that are going on in the bike world and who's doing what. So it's really good to be back here and getting ready to do that. So a uh, real quick note before we jump into all that, uh, I just want you guys to know who Jeff is, right? So if, if you're new to this podcast and you haven't been with us before, uh, my co-host is always Jeff Kendall Weed, and this guy is an absolute legend. Like, I always think, I'm Seth Kendall, and I give that name a pretty good reputation. Like, I'm a nice guy, I ride bikes, I'm fun to hang out with, but <laughs> Jeff Kendall takes all of that to the next level. I've never seen anyone on his YouTube channel be more stoked about life. He's always <laughs> smiling. Things are always rad. And it, every time I watch a video from this guy, I am more blown away with the things that you are capable of not only doing, but seeing on a bike uh, in ways that I just don't envision the trail that way. And so it's really cool to watch your videos. And beyond that, you bring just a wealth of knowledge about everything from technical to historical uh, bike knowledge. I mean, it's just insane how much you bring uh, into your videos. And so if you haven't checked out Jeff's YouTube channel, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it is so rad. Uh, he's got all kinds of cool tips, tricks, and things, and he'll help you be a better rider, set up your bikes better, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so stoked on Jeff. Check out his Instagram and his Facebook as well. So welcome back. Thanks for Jeff. the tall intro there, Seth. Yeah, That's pretty man. hard to live up to, but I appreciate it. Um, real quick for everyone to know too, um, Seth here has been working with Jensen USA for quite a while and he's got a pretty cool gig and he's, his full-time deal is creating rad content with Jensen. Yeah. Far more than just that too. But I really like doing this podcast and it's really cool to be working through the Jensen uh, set up as well because when I started doing more videos a while ago I was like all right I really want to partner with some kind of a retailer that I can push a little bit because people need to go buy this stuff and you know my sponsors have tons of yep. great dealers but there's not that many dealers you know you can easily end up in a spot where you're 80 miles to the nearest Ibis dealer for instance right. and it's a very great option to have this very professional online presence. So I really wanted to support Jensen. And the fact that most people at Jensen are indeed mountain bikers and they live the same dream that we all do, I really wanted to support Jensen. So I'm stoked that we have this podcast going and I'm stoked that Jensen is such a good supporter of everything we're doing. Yeah, we kind of uh, just wrapped up some of our planning with uh, you for 2019. And I can tell you, I am super stoked about what is going to be coming for 2019 uh, from us and Jeff. And so, yeah, just rad <laughs> to be working with you. It's good, good to be back. So, 
Awesome. Right on, Seth. Well, uh, you know, real quick before we jump into this, you just had probably one of the coolest videos, in my opinion, that you've done. <laughs> I, you just Thanks. traveled to the, the Southwest and uh, ended up meeting up with Nate Hills and Kyle Mears and like all kinds of like just bonkers <laughs> writers and did this like follow cam Friday video that was just like, I, that was super fun. Yes. That Nate had that idea. Actually, we were talking about this a year ago. We said, Hey, let's just this winter meet up in Arizona, do some follow cam for Nate's channel, maybe do some vlog stuff for my channel and just get together, ride, have fun, create some comment, some uh, content. And we got a bunch of buddies involved and we had a great time. We finally pulled it off. It was rad. Thanks. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, man. It was so cool. I mean, it, honestly, it's like just putting legends together, right? Like <laughs> uh, Nate Hills has got to be one of the most fluid writers out there. I, he's just incredible to watch. But those guys... His channel doesn't even do him justice because you never see Nate ride on his own channel. Right? It's great. <laughs> yeah. Like every <laughs> once in a while, someone will flip the camera around and grab him, but... Man, it, you know, it's always interesting to me because I think point of view cameras are often kind of, I don't want to say boring, but they dumb things down, right? Like th totally. this is part of why I don't shoot with my, I have a bunch of POV cameras and I rarely use them because when you watch me ride, you're like, well, that wasn't impressive. And meanwhile, I'm going, <laughs> I was shredding. But he like legit, when you're, when you're following him or like in the POV stuff, I'm just like, man, how is he riding so fast and so smooth? <laughs> and if you've never been to that area that he rides in, the ledges and the kind of the, the surface there is just so intense. And I remember the first time I went to Sedona, I was just like shocked at how bad a rider I was. And it took me about oh, three no. days to figure out how to ride that kind of terrain and well you were coming from the midwest at that point right well no i was coming from southern california but okay before you went to the midwest yeah gotcha. um but even then like it's just different you know like it's just a different rhythm of the the dirt and the the rocks and all that kind of stuff and there's things you can trust that you don't think you can although in your situation when you were riding in the wet probably not as much <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, there's just shelves everywhere and it's, it's kind of a crazy place to ride, but man, the, the skills it builds is just absolutely bonkers. So yeah, man, uh, I'm a huge Nate Hills fan. Uh, if ever he wants to join us on the podcast, I welcome Oh it. man, Let's make we could probably happen. make that happen. <laughs> yes, I would love that. That could be so. sweet. I have some great Nate footage too of following Nate when I could keep up with him and I followed him. He has a really cool style and he's adapted his style over the years too. I first rode with him back in like 2015, 2014 okay. and he was solid back then, but he's gotten super jumpy and I think he's gotten a lot more technically dialed since back then. Yeah, He's always been a great athlete and a decent bike handler, but his skills, in my opinion, have jumped quite a bit since back then. And the fact that he can hang with all these folks right on their back tire like yeah. way closer than it looks on the camera yeah it's he's a really good rider and he's developed that because when you're follow camming not only are you like right on someone's tail but you're blind as to what's coming up right in front because that person's blocking your vision and with that wide angle gopro lens you have to literally be less than a bike length off of that rear tire in order for it to look interesting yeah when it's actually a video so yeah and they're big props to nate yeah there's so much going on out on those trails too that man it's it's tough like i actually like following somebody but i usually leave several bike lengths because then i can translate <laughs> before i get to the object i just watch them roll over so nice Anyways. well very cool uh yeah just stoked on what you're doing for 2019 Thanks. so speaking of 2019 what are we doing uh with this podcast today what are we looking at 
Well, I think this next year is going to be an amazing year. 2019 is going to be one of the most, I think, most important years of mountain biking of the last, I'd say, definitely the last decade. And I think there's a lot of really cool things coming out yeah. product-wise and even non-product-wise that are going to really add some spice to it. Yeah, that's a pretty big statement, right? Like, Because we've had some <laughs> major years over the last uh, decade or so, and some of them not so much. Others uh, have been massive things. But, I mean, we've had some big innovations in technology, uh, some big changes in things like we've talked about wheel size and all that kind of stuff. So lots of stuff has gone on, gone on over this last decade. So to say 2019 is going to be the biggest is a big <laughs> statement. Um, but let's. Well, it's also the Internet. We have to make big statements. But yeah. Yeah. Right. Like and I think it has to be something controversial. Right. Like <laughs> there's got to be some political or religious statement to go with this. That's going to fire along with up. flat pedals versus clips <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, you know, there, there's always that thing, right? 29 versus 27.5 or whatever. We're, we'll throw out something to get the people commenting. <laughs> so, Oh, the comments are good. Direct them to Seth Kendall <laughs> at Jensen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, well, so, first let's chat about some non-bike stuff in order to add some spice. Cause we're going to, there's plenty of bike things we can gone over, but there's a bunch of non-bike stuff that's happening too. And yeah. I think the first thing I'll just throw the first comment out there. I think the 2019 EWS schedule, there's eight events happening right. all over the world. You know, a couple in Oceania, a couple in Europe. U.S. has one at North Star, which I think is going to be fascinating to see. And then uh, Switzerland's got one. So I think it's going to be really cool to see this 2019 EWS series shake down. And there's definitely been a bit of drama on the EWS front with uh, the whole drug doping allegations and all that so right and an interesting year not to say that those are things that we hope for in the industry that is clearly not you know because we're saying this is the best year uh, 2019 right uh and that whole drama thing is not necessarily um a good thing in fact it's not a good thing right we don't want that in our sport um that was always one of my things that i loved about mountain biking is to we don't want people being caught or whatever we don't want it happening period so the fact that they're actually testing and they might be finding something i think it's signs that shows that they're actually making progress and establishing a more level playing field and if you look at the ews series as a whole the parity in those races is top notch yeah the top 10 it's not always the same guys in the top 10 top five sam hill's been great super consistent but yeah, things have really there's been some big shakeups there. So I think it's been interesting to watch that. Yeah, man, I think it's going to be a really interesting series this year. And I think we're we're seeing this both in enduro, man, actually kind of across the board. We're seeing a lot of young guns coming up recently, right? Like it's enduro, it's DH, it's cross country. We're seeing there's obviously the big names, right? Sam Hill and all those guys. But there are there are these young guns who are starting to really show up, and you're like Martin Dang. Mays, for instance. Holy yeah, moly. right. Like, <laughs> like we can't uh, can't walk away without talking about that. You know, 2018 uh, series of both again with him specifically the DH side and the enduro side. And that guy just came out swinging, like uh, just. I love it though, because now we can finally reverse the tables and say when EWS guys get old, they can retire to World Cup downhill <laughs> right. racing for an easy future. <laughs> yeah, like what a turn of events, right? Um, <laughs> man, it's so crazy. And the interesting thing with him on the DH side um, was that he really, like, in the interviews that that I've read and stuff, he really was just like, yeah, I was just like. I don't know. I'll try it. Why not? You know, like it wasn't him expecting to come in and just like dominate a race. And meanwhile, he came through and just was 
absolutely ripping the whole time and putting up, you know, results that were just really impressive. So I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think EWS is going to just be unbelievably awesome to watch this year and to kind of analyze the results and everything. And I think the bikes that we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, talking about technology and stuff, are just allowing that to go even to the next level. And oh, I think totally. I think this uh, whole like the fact that we are checking on doping is a really good thing because I yeah. one of the things I really hope and I used to be a huge like. Giro, Tour de France, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I thought you were going to say you were a huge doper. No, like, no, no. In fact, one, <laughs> of, kidding, my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite socks that I have, um, they're, they're starting to die finally, but um, they, they just say dopers suck on them. And I love wearing yeah. them in all occasions because, like, honestly, it just dirties the sport. And that was one of the things. I used to be really into road cycling. I loved watching the races. And man, it just kind of, it kills my spirit a little when I watch it. And it's just like, well, yep, that person got caught doping six times and yet they're still racing. You know, like, I'm just like, you keep getting caught. How are you let back in? Anyway, so I'm hoping. I would see it a little bit on the Enduro side of things, but back in the day, downhill and Enduro, but back in the day, it was, it wouldn't help people that much. So it was kind of like, I thought it was hilarious. They're storing their body and they wouldn't get that much of an advantage, but Anyhow, we don't need to talk about yeah, doping on this Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, yeah. Um, so I think it's a good thing, though, that we're checking, and I'm hoping that it's going to keep our, our sport nice and clean and that people are going to really, um, you, you know, push for this awesome sport. So um, I, I'm super stoked on EWS. I think there's gonna, going to be rad stages coming up. Um, I did see, and I could get, be getting my numbers wrong, but I thought I saw something about a stage in in Arkansas. Is that actually, did I get that right? So I didn't see anything about an EWS in Arkansas, but what I did see is that there's going to be um, Oklahoma and Tennessee are going to have qualifiers oh, okay. along with one in Pennsylvania to get into the EWS series. Oh, okay, so okay. I don't know entirely how that whole structure works, but... Because of the EWS's success and growth, yeah. I think the local enduro race scenes have really taken off as kind of a result of that. So we often hear about like UCI World Cup downhills, like the F1 of bike development. Yeah. Products get developed in downhill racing and then brought to the masses, which is completely debatable. Mm-hmm. But here mm-hmm. we see the EWS series taking off and doing great. And then the qualifier series is trickling down. And this whole format, which is good for people that don't really want to commit to a gnarly cross-country race or yeah. don't want to just have one run after spending $75-plus dollars right. to enter an event like downhill. So seeing this trickle-down format happen, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, and honestly, it's some of the most fun to watch, right? Like, yeah. I mean, even just local stuff. If you can get out to a race and stand by the trail side, like – Man, the the people are just pushing it so hard and just ripping these trails. And I love the fact that it does involve, uh, you know, kind of sustained endurance and all that kind of stuff as well, right? It takes some of what's good about cross-country racing, which is fun to watch. And I will say cross-country racing has gotten way more interesting in the last few years because they're stepping up their game of what they're tackling on the trails on, you know, low travel bikes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just absolutely bonkers. But I think Enduro just like pops it up another level where like you really do have to have like tons of stamina and be really strong. But these guys are pushing near uh, downhill level racing. You know, it's just kind of bonkers what they're doing on bikes. And so super rad to watch and just cool to see all the, the new people coming up through that channel. 
And we see that, you know, obviously in in bike sales, um, you know, if we're looking at the numbers of what we sell, that all mountain enduro style bike is just king right now. Um, And it makes sense, right? Like it's that bike that you can do just about whatever you want on. So really cool to see. Um, On the DH side, uh, we have some cool stuff, right? Like uh, there's a stop in snowshoe this year, if I'm correct, oh, right? I didn't even notice. Uh, let me pull up this calendar right now. I know that um, the Atherton bike thing, that's going to be super interesting. Yeah. It's definitely on the downhill side. Like it's, that's a, that's a big change, right? Like, and so we got to talk about team changeups a little bit here. Uh, cause that's the big news this year, I think. Uh, and every year has team, team changeups, but man, this year felt bigger. Uh, than than past years, and I think obviously yes. the the two big ones are Atherton, like the entire group, starting up their own bike business, which that's crazy, and it makes sense, right? Tons of knowledge and tons of years of of racing, not just in DH, but they spend a ton of time on dirt jump bikes and enduro bikes and stuff. So, you know, a uh, big move for them. So, congrats to them on on, on stepping into that, and we'll see how that all turns out. Uh, the other big one being Aaron Gwynn and Nico Malali uh, moving yeah. over to Intense. Like, uh, you know, it's kind of the worst kept secret, right? Everyone had the puns going on um, on Pink Bike <laughs> and stuff with like Gwyn Tense and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but man, that's that's a pretty uh, cool change. And I think honestly, like Intense obviously has been trying to move back into kind of their world dominance of of downhill uh, from back yeah. in their heritage days. And man, it's hard to argue with this not being the team to help get them there. Right. Like Jack, yeah. Jack Moore and all those guys were awesome. Like totally rad, and I don't want to take anything away from that team. But this is like taking that team to the next level. So oh, totally, yes, yeah. And then I'm curious about if Ryan Dungey is going to actually be more hands on with the team guys at all. Yeah. And then I forget her name, Christy, I believe she was at KTM, organized a bunch of the junior race series. I'm gonna, I'm really curious to see what she'll do with developing more of a junior side for the whole intense racing thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's good, right? Like, um. Obviously, our company's from Southern California. Um, we've you know long been friends of the Intense family there, and um, man, I think it's good for that brand to um, come back kind of to their roots, you know. And it's not to say yeah. that they like disappear, but there was a while where they just weren't out there in the DH world, and and really, I think that's that's where Intense kind of got their start, and uh, it's. It's what's at the base of their company. So it's good to see them back in it. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's an interesting move, um, not just for uh, Aaron, but like talking about the Athertons and stuff, seeing these riders as they start to see what is likely the end of their DH racing careers coming up, um, like what they're moving towards. And so Aaron becoming actually the team owner is a pretty big thing, right? And yeah. Atherton starting a bike brand and stuff. So... Uh, it's cool to see how these these uh, writers are kind of moving to the next phase. And uh, again, this steps into the the guys coming out from uh, the young years and saying, OK, uh, it's time to make make moves uh, into what's next in our life. Right. So totally. Yeah. Seeing Brandon Semenik, actually, I think he's stepping back from competition this year yeah. and doing more just media content stuff. So. I'm really excited about that because I can't wait to see what he's going to think up. Yeah. Uh, That'll be really cool. 
again, he's a, a, another one of those guys who you're just like, I don't, I don't get how you, <laughs> how did you look at that trail that way? Um, but yeah, super rad to see. And in that same uh, arena, we have a bunch of these young kids who now are, are dominating. And it's always that question of like, are they dominating because Brandon's not there? Or <laughs> are they dominating because they're just that good? And I, I start, I'm leaning mostly towards the they're just that good. Nice. Um, you see a lot of these kids throwing down runs that even when Brandon was at his, uh, you know, his young years, he wasn't throwing these same tricks. And so they're these kids, yes, they're not as good as Brandon right now, maybe, but they are coming in at a higher level for their first year. So, and it's hard to say as good as, cause then like things come in, like a lot of the times these guys are relearning all their tricks in new situations, you know, and whole new jumps. Yeah. And Brandon's probably one of the best bike handlers in the world, yeah. not just in terms of doing tricks, but actually just plain old riding the bike. I think Brandon should race Red Bull Hardline. I think oh he'd have gosh, a good yeah. chance at winning that. Yeah. Like, forget tricks. Like, he's such a good handler. Those That level of jumping and then just, yeah, cornering that hard, he would do great. So yeah, I kind of hope we can get him to do that. But um, cool. anyhow, that difference between the, his style and these kids doing that slightly different tricks or whatever, it might be interesting to see if, if some of that comes down to where they're going, just whole different scenarios and the cagey veteran experience being a, a big help when you're coming to a whole new setup, like, when I go out and ride with some friends that haven't been riding for 20 plus years and we get some sketchy jump on the trail, I'm like, yeah, let's just jump it. Yep. But I've been hitting jumps like that for way longer than they have. So it's just a matter of having that extra experience. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one of the things I'm hoping for is in um, this kind of slope style thing. Like, I love the format that we have. It's rad. These guys are throwing down amazing tricks. Um, but if we see it with a bunch of the writers now doing more of these like creative video edits and stuff and Brandon being a prime example of that. Um, but there's several others that are just absolutely, you know, making bonkers videos and stuff. And I would love to see somewhat of like a Red Bull rampage meets slope style type of thing where it's more about like creative lines and interesting uh, interpretation of the jumps and stuff. So having more line options, uh, you know, and like some of the like small things. I remember last year, um, Regatkin was doing this like crazy little turn down three on a hip that basically everyone else was just kind of, you know, straight air hipping. Uh, and he did this thing. And at the end of the day, it didn't affect his score at all. And I just remember being like, man, that was so fluid and so cool. I would love to see that benefit. So um, that's my hope for like, obviously, 2020, 2021 uh, slope style. But I would love to see that morph in, in slope style where it's like more of kind of an interpretive or creative uh, a form. So Dude, yeah. I saw Van Homan at the X Games in like 99 or 2000. There was the dirt jump series, the competition, which is like a six pack or whatever, dirt six, yeah. you know, three jumps in a row, all dirt. And there's two Rollins, a tall one and a small one. And, you know, the contest is on the dirt jumps, but Van takes like three pedal strokes and then bunny hops off the top Roland over the handrail that would keep you like falling down it if yeah. you had a crash. And then gaps down to the small Roland. And it's like a 20 foot drop, but it's such a steep, like, 70 degree rolling thing he landed it just totally fine yeah and had plenty of speed for the jumps and it was just this so such a bonkers thing but it had nothing to do with his score because it wasn't technically what the contest was all about yeah exactly so, oh, those things are so cool but then it's like then you get down to the blessing and the curse of the whole contest environment yeah yeah exactly so 
Yeah. We should dive into some of the really exciting new bike stuff that's happening in 2019. Oh my goodness, there's so much. Yeah, yeah, man. It's bonkers uh, just how much stuff is changing. Like, uh, you know, this is not a brand we carry, but just saw that, like, Gorilla Gravity uh, just... Dude, that's the first thing on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Um, No, no, no. It's all good, but it's not just Gorilla Gravity. Ibis started doing that this last summer. Uh, The company in Colorado is Alchemy Bikes. Yep, yep. Yeah, they're doing a similar thing. There's pro- I know Trek was doing some U.S. carbon production as well. I don't think they publicized it that much, but yeah, but yeah, Gorilla Gravity. Wow. Yeah, big change. And that's a big one because you know, like the the other companies we mentioned here have a little bit more going on, especially if we're talking about like Trek and stuff. But Gorilla Gravity is a pretty small little company. Uh, yeah. Met the owner a few uh, like two sea otters ago, and. Cool. He's just absolutely rad and just a cool dude. But just, yeah, kind of out of nowhere, like this company who's been all aluminum for so long and making really cool bikes comes out swinging with this rad U.S.-made carbon bike with, you know, cool geometry and new tech in the carbon world, too, right? Like, yes. Or not necessarily new tech for carbon world, but bike carbon world, if we will. Um, so yeah, man, I think that's really exciting and I think it's going to continue to push more brands, right? Like the same thing with the Ibis stuff being, uh, like doing their, um, testing and mold buildups and all that kind of stuff. And they, they kind of revolutionize stuff with the, um, the molds being made out of aluminum instead of out of steel. Like that's different than what Gorilla Gravity is doing. They're using, it looks like steel molds from what I can tell in the pictures. So that was super interesting. It, it went that route. I mean, yeah, I don't know. But looking at the pictures of their machine, you can see the little all the tubes for heating things up. All the, I think those are electrical connections there. That was pretty cool. Like having seen that at the Ibis factory, like basically the same thing done kind of differently. It's like, oh, cool. This is very similar. This is neat. Yeah. So you know, anything that uh, kind of pushes that technology and and makes it more accessible to the end consumer, I think, is rad. Right? Because like. The plastic fantastic bikes are exactly that. <laughs> they're awesome. They're they're light. They're strong. They do all these things. Uh, you know, the biggest downfall to carbon is kind of the uh, impact issue, right? If you slam it into a sharp, pointy rock, like yeah, it might have an issue. Although I would argue, if you did the same thing to an aluminum bike, it's probably going to have some issues, <laughs> right? <laughs> but with that being said, you know the price tag on these things can be a bit harsh, right? So as we improve these technologies um, and, you know, hopefully create less waste while we're at it and just kind of refine the whole process, I think that's really good for uh, the end consumer. I think it's really good for the industry itself, uh, you know, to help make us a a sustainable uh, industry and to get more people involved at reasonable bike prices and stuff. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. What else uh, do you have on your list? So the world of suspension has two big things going oh, on. Man. First off, I think more folks are excited about, and that's, believe it or not, old school coil suspension. Is hey, that was on over. my list. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but there's so many conversion kits, like Vorsprung announced theirs the other day. Yep. Push has that AC3, I want to say, kit that's been out for like a year and a half now. Yeah. And then there's brand new options. Cane Creek has a bunch of coil forks, MRP. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the other big players launching some coil stuff soon. And on that whole realm, uh, this is not new technology, but again, it's kind of new to the bike world because of the, uh, the small form factors that we deal with. But we now have progressive coil springs for rear shocks coming from MRP. 
So yeah, I want to try those because <laughs> I'm not. I'm really curious how well they work, how long they work, all that yeah. stuff. I, yeah, <laughs> and and that's a huge question mark for me as well. Like. Um, my, my buddy Mike at Jensen is rocking this uh, coil, like coil front end, coil rear end, Santa Cruz. And that thing is just pure butter on the trails. It's so nice. good. But yeah, I would love to get a progressive spring on there and just kind of see uh, how that handles, how it holds up and everything. Because yeah, the form factor thing is definitely a challenge, right? Like we've had progressive springs, but that's always been in things like vehicles, you know, trucks, etc. And that's a way bigger form factor, so much easier to do. So I'll be. And MRP is a legit company, so if they're doing it, I'm generally going to tend to believe in it because those guys generally do really good stuff, high quality. Yeah. They can stand behind it, so I'm sure it's going to work pretty well. But I've been told by so many engineers that it's literally impossible to make a progressive spring. That springs F equals KX. It's always yep. a straight, completely linear spring rate. So I'll be blown away. But hey, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that'd it's... be cool. <laughs> Excuse me. It's uh, definitely like a big question, but yeah, again, I know the guys over there and they're fantastic, super smart. And yeah. honestly, they're like a straight up company, which is rad, right? Like totally. there's, there's always going to be marketing speak behind companies, but man, it's like when Noah tells me something, I'm like, I believe you. I totally yeah, believe Noah's you. Noah's a good dude. <laughs> Noah's <laughs> such a good dude. So, hey, Noah, um, hopefully here's this one. I'll send it to him. Um, but anyways, well, another really cool thing about suspension, yeah. all this new electronic stuff might actually be electronic stuff now that is something that people are super into. This will be really interesting. It's definitely polarizing, but I think yeah. it might be stuff that will actually change the tide a bit. Yeah. And, you know, here again, I'm hesitant because uh, I'm old school, right? I'm, I'm getting yeah. old. <laughs> and I know in talking to you, you've also been kind of like leery of the electronic world of, of cycling. And, and I think that's a totally reasonable response by people. However, with the people that I've talked to who have been on these new suspension electronic things, they're like, I didn't want to believe. And then I got <laughs> off the bike and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to believe. And one yeah. of the guys that um, really kind of like won me over on this um, is a guy who's just engineering nerd completely has been in the bike game for a long time, knows his stuff inside out and backwards. And uh, uh, when Fox had him riding on their you know, live valve stuff, um, they had him start with it off. And he was like, yeah, this suspension feels great. It feels like Fox. It's awesome. you know." And then they were like, okay, turn it on. And he like went riding and he was like, you know, I'm not sure I feel the difference. And they were like, okay, now that you've spent, I think he did like 15 miles or something. They're like, okay, now that you've spent some time, go do that exact same trail and this time turn it off again. And he, he did it and he was like, oh, that's the difference. And so it's kind of interesting because it's a, from what he was describing, it was a technology that like you almost don't notice it until you get rid of it. And then you're like, oh crap. I, I need that back. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyways, I think it's going to be really cool. Um, obviously, right now, that is really boutique, right? Super expensive. Yeah. I haven't ridden it personally, and it's hard to talk me to talk about it much without having tried it, but it's interesting to see. like If it's getting that much rave review now, it's quite curious to see what will end up shaking down. Yeah, and you know, the good thing is, is again, it's a technology coming from other worlds. Uh, Fox Live has been on... Uh, like truck suspension for years um, and and doing not tons of years, but a few years now and doing great. 
And so it's great to see this kind of trickle down. And again, I don't expect this to end up on one of my bikes in, in 2019, but Hey, it might. You never know, right? <laughs> and I do know uh, that we're starting to see bikes that are incorporating uh, this and Shimano um, uh, DI2 stuff and whatever into their frame architecture, which is really cool that, that these brands are thinking about this stuff ahead of time so that uh, it means that people aren't going to have to hack and bodge their bikes in the future yeah. in order to make this stuff work. So it's cool to see that happening. Um because as we all know, the world of standards can be a giant pain in the butt. <laughs> and so it's good to see that brands are actually talking to each other a little bit. And hopefully that will continue and we can standardize things a little bit better. Do you think we're going to see more new axle standards in 2019? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just so everyone knows, like we at Jensen will always support every standard that's out there that is common <laughs> because we want to make sure that you guys can get what you need. With that being said, we do not necessarily support this mass standardization that's going on. And I'm putting air quotes all around that standardization word because at the end of the day, that's way harder for us to have all those parts for all the different types of bikes and to yeah. make sure that we're getting the exact right product for you. That's a, it's a lot of work. And so we, just like you, are hoping that the brands all get together and say, you know what, we're all going to do X, whatever it is, and boost, super boost, I, I pick one, let's just go with it. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I'm, man, I'm really hoping that 2019 is the year that, like, you know, the Chris King Symposium gets everybody together again and we, we all just decide on like three because I do think that there is a need for different ones right like I'm on a gravel bike and I don't need a 20 mil axle on my uh, my gravel bike Un oh sure unnecessary so a 12 yeah. mil gives me all the stiffness I need gives me the quick access all that kind of stuff cool into that so I think there is room for multiple standards I just think we don't need like 30 of them so yeah. Right. But what are your thoughts? You think we're we're going more, less, same? I have no idea. I, I think it's going to stay pretty consistent this year. But you know, that's that's the sort of thing that'll just catch you off guard. Yeah. Because no one's going to announce like, hey, in six months we have a new standard <laughs> right, coming out. Right. They definitely don't announce that. It's like that's rumor mill stuff at most, and they often try to keep that kind of top secret. Oh, someone else might make a new standard. It's a little bit different right before us. And yeah, it's like, all right, wait a second. Like, yeah. So they never really publicize that stuff in advance. So it's yep. hard to say. I wouldn't mind seeing more of those super super duper boosts that Pivot's pushing that one fifty. Yeah. I think that's kind of a, a worthwhile idea because it's fairly standard parts just being applied to a different type of bike. Yep. So it's really not that different than the whole idea of a through axle in the front. If you think about where the through axle kind of came from, is a 20 by, what was that, 20 by 110 yep. downhill axle. Yep. And then it kind of got downsized to 15 by 100, 100 and then grew back out to 15 by 110. Yep. So anyhow, like seeing how that stuff kind of trickled down from downhill into the regular bikes and they got that much better. Single chain rings trickled down from downhill yep. bikes and then trail bikes got that much better. Disc brakes. I mean, even full suspension. So Man, it sounds like we have to thank downhillers, man. I know. Such good guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to boost their egos way too much. <laughs> so. so, yeah, I don't I think that was a, a solid a solid push. I don't know if, if Ibis per se is going to be pushing that or not, but if they go that route, I would be totally happy. If they don't, I totally get it. You know, keeping things smaller will keep it lighter and light bikes are nice. So yeah. 
I'm fine either way, but that's one that I'm not nearly as upset about as some of the other ones out there. I think bottom bracket standards have kind of settled down a little bit, which yeah. is really good. Head tube standards have settled down a little bit. And we're actually seeing um, a bit of a reversal on bottom bracket standards, which I think is good, right? We're getting way more brands that are popping out threaded, proper, you know, old school yeah. bottom brackets. Yeah. And, you know, I get the press fit stuff. I understand it from a manufacturing side. I understand it from a weight side. I get all that. At the end of the day, I just want to be able to thread my bottom bracket in and call it good. <laughs> you know, like I'll, yeah. I'll take the 20 gram hit and, you know, all that. So uh, I, I actually I'm a fan of moving back to that. Um, and I've had great press fit bottom bracket bikes and whatever. But I definitely have heard, you know, from customers and stuff, some of the challenges and frustrations with those. Yeah. And so um, it's good to go back. And I don't think I mean, I was the whole I mean, they. I don't know. I don't know if. The press fit thing is tough, but I know the first time that it got implemented on a bike, it was really exciting because when there wasn't a solid aluminum tube in the bottom bracket, the mold in that part of the bike, and if you hold like a cut up bike that's cut up into six different pieces, the piece that is the bottom bracket mm -hmm. down tube seat tube junction is by far the heaviest piece of the bike. Yep. Not just with the bottom bracket shell installed, even without that, it's still the heaviest because that's a very, very critical part of the bike. When you're pedaling, that's so much torque and force. Yep. And it's also got to support all the same stuff the head tube does when you land from a jump. So when they got rid of that actual aluminum tube in there, the mold, the actual the bladder inside of the mold, it didn't have this weird little corner. It could actually be a bigger thing, and it put a lot more pressure on the carbon as it as the frame was being molded together. So it wasn't just the weight of the silly aluminum tube. Yeah, they were able to get a much bigger air bladder in there that was way more consistent. Yep. So QC was way better, and the actual frame ended up being quite a bit stiffer because you could get a higher pressure in that bladder in there. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, I don't think that story was really explained properly to consumers. The, the whole idea of like, yeah, they get rid of this tube so it's cheaper, like that kind of took over and it's like that wasn't really the actual reason why. It cost more money to develop that than right. sticking with the old BSA style. So Yeah. Anyhow, classic issue of not telling the right story during marketing and then kind of sinking the ship before it ever leaves port. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, like customers are going to be the, the driving force in, in what survives and what moves. And so, uh, you definitely have to, um, be convincing in why. And so I think that's one of the things that brings us to why 2019 is going to be good. I feel like, like brands are getting more dialed on, who their customer is and and what their customers want. And so yeah. I feel like we're just moving in that direction of, you know, just better products because it's directly addressing what the customers need. So um, pretty rad on that front. Uh, speaking of standards, um, not to delve too far, but I'm imagining you'll be playing on this group set soon. But drivetrains are about to see some pretty heavy competition here with uh, Shimano's new XTR group, who I argue, and they will probably argue against me here, but I argue they introduced several new bottom, or not bottom bracket, but several new standards uh, all in one group. But with that being said, I kind of support the way they did this because, you know, there's a new brake mount uh, adapter. There's, you know, their iSpec, um, what is it? I can't even remember what it's called now, but their new iSpec setup uh, that's new. They have the new microspline um, driver on there. Like it, yeah, there's a bunch of hub. new things in this one group. However, 
I kind of buy into it because Shimano has always been slow to move on things a little bit and they do a really good job of refining stuff. Um, so I kind of feel like in this one, they, they were slow on like, we're just going to do all the standard, uh, standards that we've been doing for years. And when we finally need it, we're just going to rip that bandaid off of all of them. And so we're going to introduce a whole bunch and you'll see this whole migration in our groups and stuff. And so I think it's, it's one of the few times where I'm like, ah, new standards, but okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm excited to try it. I haven't tried any of the new XDR stuff, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And what I'm really excited for is when it, if you know, I don't know what their official company line is, but look at everything else they developed. It's always trickled down to the rest of the group. Yep. So I'm sure when it comes to XT and I'm sure at some point SLX, we'll see something yep. similar. I think that's going to be pretty darn cool and a nice little advancement. I'm, I've still got XT, what is it, 8,000 series okay. on all my bikes, and the stuff works so well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, if we can keep going up from that. And I, I think that series is three or four years old now, so it would be really cool to see some upgrades there. I don't really need them. The thing works so good as it is, but yeah, that'll be really cool. And I'm a, I'm a SRAM fanboy um, and have been for years. You know, like I, I started doing one by long before it was a thing and when they introduced it it really kind of won me over i also really like the feel of the sram groups however with all that being said this new xtr i've only uh, played with it on a bike like you know just looking at it and you know kind of sitting in the shop looking at it but man it looks wonderful like it's absolutely beautiful and it just has a really great refined feel to it has a lot of the classic feel of Shimano stuff uh, in the shifting and all that. Um, but from the guys that I've talked to at our shop who have actually spent quite a bit of time on it, that ability to shift up and down through gears uh, under load is just next level. They, you know, they're like that whole classic cool. thing of having to back off on your pedals between shifts is almost non-existent at this point. And so that's got me real tempted. And I actually, we did a video not too long ago uh, looking at XTR versus uh, SRAM. And longtime SRAM fanboy, um, you know, got an Eagle Group on my bike right now. And I, my next bike may, may be coming with the <laughs> Shimano stuff. Like, that would be... You know, <laughs> it looks real tempting. So kudos yeah. to Shimano for really like stepping up the game. And I think, again, this is part of why 2019 is going to be awesome is we don't have a lot of competition in the drivetrain world. Um, it's kind of those two big players and then box components coming in and doing a few things. And E13. E13 stepping up their game. Yeah. Um, but man, it's good to see like that stuff getting pushed really hard. And at the same time, uh, we don't have to worry too much. Like, like you said, you're running three-year-old uh, Shimano XT, and it's fantastic. And so that's what's great for consumers is we can have this technology push. But at the end of the day, our consumers are still supported in the older drivetrains with great performance at great prices and stuff. So I think that's super exciting because, you know, it's just going to give us all better functioning bikes and more capable. So. Yeah. Dude, one thing I wanted to mention for 2019 is the prevalence of non-race oriented bikes. Yeah. So seeing all these modern trail bikes, you know, sure you could race them in enduro, but 
a lot of these things are getting such steep seat tube angles that traditionally they wouldn't be seen as being super efficient or whatever. They wouldn't be seen as being like good all arounder bikes because on the flatter trails, you're sitting straight upright instead of the traditional like pedaling from the glutes or whatever yeah. style. So seeing the steeper seat tube angle, slacker head tube angle type bikes start to make it all over the place. Generally, when I hear people talk about their first couple experiences on modern geometry bikes, they are over the moon stoked at how easy it is to get up steeper climbs. Yep. And then they feel like a superhero in the descent. So that was one of the things I wanted to mention that this style of geometry is finally making it to the mainstream yep. and it's easy to get that type of bike. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm on a Ritmo as we all probably know at this point. And for me, it's, it's been just unreal how good a, you know, basically six inch travel bike is in all situations. I am efficient up, I'm mobbing down, and even on the flats, I'm still just moving along. And I, you know, I'm not a racer, I'm not that, I'm not the fastest guy out there, but bike geometry just seems to make me more efficient all the way through. And so, super stoked on that. Um, I, I think we're just gonna see more of it uh, as brands kind of move to this. And I also think it's a good, uh, step, you know, we've always, the, the wording has always been longer, lower slacker. Right. And I feel like we're starting to find a point of like longer, lower slacker with reason. Um, you know, like it, it feels like we're kind of finding our, our, our footing on that to where it's like, okay, there's a very specific reason we're going to this. So kind of interesting. Uh, one, I also wanted to talk about that probably uh, gets onto geometry a bit, and I don't really know what to think of this one. But uh, trust forks, um, man. So we're going <laughs> that was on my list too. <laughs> okay, okay, because we're going back to forks. You know, we talked about coil suspension and stuff. Uh, trust forks—that's a whole new thing. And for those of you who may not have seen it, which I'd be surprised if it's anyone, but if you haven't, these are linkage forks. So. Um, instead of just using a telescopic fork that just moves up and down on sliders, this has multi-links similar to your rear shock on your bike, and it allows it to have uh, like a really specific travel pattern and uh, progression tune and all those kind of things. Um, some big names in that, right? Like, <laughs> I'm fascinated to see those things. I'm really curious to try one of those out for myself. I mean, I don't know. Whenever those guys get behind something, it ends up being pretty real. So yeah. the first generation or whatever, it looks like a pretty solid product. I'm curious to try it. But just the fact that Weagle's behind it and believes in it yeah. so much, I think that's like that right there to me kind of spells the future a little bit. I mean, look at the Iron Horse Sunday. Oh Weagle was gosh, a huge yeah. part in that bike. And now we're basically riding Sundays with smaller front chain rings, bigger wheels up and downhill. Yep. So. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> for me, it's often a selling point of what bike I'm going to ride if Weagle's name is somehow attached to it. Right. Right. I'm currently on an Ibis Ripmo. Love that that DW link that he's got working on that thing. Um, I've been uh, playing on the Evil Offering. Uh, we've, cool. we've got one of those. And that, that whole linkage system there is unbelievably complicated looking for what's pretty much a single pivot bike. But it is so smooth and, and nice. it, I mean, it's just unbelievably good. And it's funny because it's a kind of a heavy linkage in that bike. Um, so the frame ends up weighing a little bit more than what it, like my Ritmo, which is on the lighter side of things. Um, 
but man, it doesn't feel like that on the trail. Like it is just such a goat, you know, it just mobs through things and nice. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. So when Weagle gets behind something, I'm like, yeah, but at the same time, really expensive. Um, so again, True. which all technology is right. That first generation, somebody has got to pay for it. And so it's just how it goes, but hopefully that will come down. Uh, and then secondarily, it's, I hate to say it. It's not good looking. Like, and I love <laughs> well, have you. Have you seen Dave? other linkage folks out there? I mean, looking at the ones that I think white developed a linkage yeah. fork not that long ago, like 10 years ago ish. Yeah. And I think they tried pretty hard, but man, even like the BMW motorcycles that use linkage forks, it's like, yeah, but I, I personally am a big fan of it. And I, I'm wondering if that's Jason Shears, the guy who started mm-hmm. Envy back when it was edge composites, like the way that the Envy carbon cyclocross fork looks, that's freaking sweet. Yeah. And then I look at the trust fork and it's like, that looks kind of similar to the Envy Carbon Fork. Yeah, to me, got a little bit of that rake thing going on. Yeah, yeah, the rake thing is like, I think that's the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around when I look at it. But the way they shaped it, the industrial design, to me, is I think that's is pretty darn aesthetically pleasing. I haven't seen one in the wild. I've only seen them on the internet. Yep. So And that often, like, a lot of bikes, you see them in person, and you're like, that looks rad. Then you see the photos, and you're like, ooh, really? Yeah. So it's funny when that happens. Colors can be like that a lot, too, just because of white balances and cameras yeah. and stuff can be inconsistent. But I don't know. I, I think that they did a really good job with making a linkage fork look pretty appealing. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like, So out of linkage forks, it's the best-looking linkage fork I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just as a theme. You could take that analogy to so many different places. <laughs> right? Like, as a theme, linkage forks are not the bell of the ball. They just, they're overly complicated, and they're foreign to us, right? Like, we... Yeah, they're still, they're still new. We've never really dealt in that. I'm sure at some point when full suspension bikes were coming out, there was people on their hardtails screaming and yelling, just about how terrible and ugly they were. And in fact, I'm on some single speed groups on Facebook who, you know, that's basically what they do. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, like it's, uh, it's probably something that we're going to have to get used to before we start seeing the beauty of it and everything. But I, yeah, it's one that I definitely hesitate on. I'm like, I'm not sure, but I'm really curious, you know? So yeah. uh, I think it's that kind of outside the box thinking that's really taken off in 2019. It's really pushing the envelope. So I, that, I'm excited to try one and, and kind of see it in person. Yeah, too. absolutely. And that's, that's exactly it, right? Like I, I don't want to kind of lambast that too much because at the end of the day, I'm stoked to see things changed and be pushed in our industry and I, I, I have to say, Dave is one of those guys who just continually does that. Yeah, every time it's, it's amazing. And sometimes he swings and misses, but it's always interesting because his swings and misses then get refined a few years later and they become amazing. And that's the thing I, I, I love about Dave is that he's, he's, a, he's got a way of perfecting ideas as they go and getting them to just do exactly what he wants. So I, I'm real hopeful with this. Um, I'll be real curious. I like definitely want to throw a leg over a bike with one setup. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm curious how it's going to work out because with a lot of bikes moving to 150, 160 mil travel, uh, this fork limited to, I believe it's 130 right now. Uh, real curious to see how that kind of lines up in being on people's bikes and everything. So we'll kind of see. 
Uh, yeah, totally. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, anything else on your 2019 list of... Those are the main topics that I wanted to go over on today's podcast. There's so much stuff coming up right now. So I think we'll have to do a follow-up in like six months. What were we right and wrong right? about for the future yeah. of 2019? What do we have to eat crow on? Because <laughs> um, there's definitely going to be lots of new stuff coming out this year. I mean, every year we see a ton of new bikes popping out kind of early springtime, like Sea Otter, of course. Yep. We usually see new stuff popping around. And then probably Eurobike-ish, we'll probably see more cool new stuff. And then some of the big brands will probably push some interesting ideas at odd points of the year. So. Yeah, and that may be my closing thought on all this, is that you know one of the things we lost in t- 2018, late 2018, was the final Interbike. That was, wow. uh, it was the death of Interbike for 2018. However... That actually makes me hopeful because as a person who's been attending Interbike for years, and I'm sure you even longer than I, um, there was amazing things that came out of that show and there was a lot of good from it. But as the years went on, uh, the industry, the, the culture, all that stuff morphed and changed to where there was a lot of Interbike that was inapplicable to what we were doing and it was becoming yeah. overly expensive and small brands were struggling to get in. And so the death of Interbike has kind of opened up this opportunity um, for other shows that are different and kind of embrace the current culture better. And so the big one, obviously, is Sea Otter, right? Like that's yeah. that's the big step out. Um, and but we also are seeing things like Cabda that just have to happen. And, yeah. you know, like uh, this ability for smaller brands, uh, more intimate settings, more consumer involvement, all of that stuff, I think, is really exciting. And again, speaks to this idea that our our brands and consumers are getting closer to each other. And so the products that are going to come out of that are going to be better because of it. So Chris Kokalis had a good a good point. I listened to the Vital MTB's Inside Line podcast. They had a great interview with Chris, you know, the owner and founder of Pivot Cycles. Yeah. And he had a great comment that, you know, I think a lot of us are kind of nervous mountain bikers in terms of technology because we've even pushed so many gimmicks over the years. Mm-hmm. And he said something that really struck a chord with me that, you know, cycling is finally getting to the point where we have to reach automotive levels of quality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great way of saying it. You go out and buy like even aftermarket stuff for your car and you know, it's 98% going to be as good as the OEM in terms of initial fit and initial quality and then longevity and durability and mountain bike stuff. There's definitely lots of great products now, but there's, and there's still a few things that are kind of hokey, but I think he's spot on that in this day and age, things are finally, the sport is maturing at a point that's, we can sure. finally like see new ideas and it's most of the time it's not just a straight gimmick. It's actually something that's been legitimately hammered out and thought through and tested. Yep. So that maturity of the sport is really cool. And uh, I don't know, he just happened to mention that and I was like, oh, that's a that's a good way of putting it. We're reaching automotive levels here. Yeah. So I think that's happening all across the board and 2019 should be the time where we can really, you know, not just see new stuff, but expect it to perform as well as it hopefully, hopefully looks. Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful for 2019. I think it's going to be a good year. I'm excited to see what bike is in my future because of it. Uh, and right now... We're going to get one new bike this year. Yeah. Well, I've. it's <laughs> funny. I've cut my bike collection way down. Uh, you know, obviously, I talk about doing the dirt jumper and my BMX at the skate park and the pump track a lot. 
so I hang on to those. But other than that, I've got a gravel bike and my all mountain bike, and that's kind of it. Um, it's a big wow. drop. I, I, <laughs> when I moved to the Midwest, I sold a bunch of bikes. I was at 14 at that point. Whoa. And I've decided to cut it way down. So I'm at four bikes and I feel pretty good about that. I'm cleansing, you know. Nice. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like, you know, we'll see uh, the, the Ritmo will probably go up for sale this spring and we'll see what I end up on. See if it's Shimano components. Who knows? Oh, man. My, uh, my Shimano rep would probably be stoked by that. So, <laughs> you know, he, he'd be all about it. And it would be good for me to go back. It's been a long time since I've been on Shimano stuff. So. Um, except for brakes, man. You don't like the Shimano brakes? No, I do. That's what oh, I'm. Man. That's what I'm saying. I've been on. Oh, there. you've been riding Shimano brakes with a SRAM drivetrain. Yeah, okay. and like I see. I and see. And again, okay. I'm actually a pretty big fan of Shimano or SRAM brakes. I love the feel, the modulation, but uh, for me, like the just the consistent performance and the ease of the Shimano brakes was kind of what won me over. And so I've been running those for a bunch of years. So. It'll be good nice. to get back on uh, Shimano components and try it out and see see if I can smash it around and be angry with it. So maybe yeah. we should do. Maybe the listeners can tell us if we should do a podcast about the ins and outs of SRAM versus Shimano. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> I like that one. So, well, on that note, uh, thanks for lending your ears to us today. It's uh, it's great to be back on the microphones with Jeff for 2019. We've got a bunch of episodes uh, scheduled for this year, and we'll be putting these out regularly. Um, we're super excited to keep going with this. If you've enjoyed this episode, um, I, I definitely recommend subscribing to our podcast and you can find us all over the place. We are on iTunes, Google Play, or you can check us out on SoundCloud as well. And you can check out our past episodes there if you haven't listened to those. So be sure to check those out. Uh, if you have any thoughts on what you want us to talk about or you just want to tell us, hey, you guys are awesome or that you want to leave us an angry comment, uh, go ahead and hit us up at podcast at JensenUSA.com. <laughs> and uh, that's the email that will go to us. Or you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook, both for Jensen and for uh, Jeff Kendall Weed. So check those out. Uh, any last words from you, Jeff? Man, it's time to hit the trail. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, good to see you. Good to be back talking with you. And I look forward to doing the next one. Me too. That was awesome. All right, everybody. Keep pedaling. Keep pedaling.